Hey everybody, how you doing? Happy Valentine's Day. Welcome to PHLY Flyers presented by Mortgage CS. Check out MortgageCS.com slash PHLY to start your home buying process today. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. My name is Bill Matz. I'm your director of fun and games for the evening. Joining me today, Philadelphia's number one hockey beat reporter. It is Charlie O'Connor. Charlie. Hey, good to see you. You're doing a little journalizing, a little bit, uh, but you are here. Our show—it's only four oh six, four oh seven. We're fine. Uh, you all can wait. <laughs> but happy to see you here it's all today for the betterment of the content. It really is. It's all about the content. And you've already put out some, honestly, content that directed my whole show today uh, with your <laughs> practice update. From uh, it, I don't think it's even still called the Skate Zone anymore. That's what it I call it is now. It. The Flyers yeah, Training Flyers Center. Training Center. I yeah, they changed the name. I think last season. Yeah, I like I Googled correctly. it and it was like that's not it. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I still call it the Skate it's Zone the on skate occasion zone. because it's been the Skate Zone for so long. But it has officially had a name change i was there that on opening true. night it was the skate zone it will forever. Were you really on yeah, opening night like i think it was like jonesy and brett hull were like signing or not brett hull jody hull jody hull jody hull no and like um, maybe dan mcgillis one of those like era defensemen were there like signing autographs and it was like a big public open skate but anyway uh in your practice update today that's where we will begin it was uh, it was reported today that Ristolainen, Forster, Drysdale, and Tippett all missed practice today. Uh, the Flyers put out a tweet about a couple of the guys. It was Owen Tippett and Jamie Drysdale. It's just maintenance days. We've seen them like a little banged up here yeah, and here. They, I'm sure um, they are. Yeah, and so they're just they just were out like, all right, they're not hurt or they're not injured, but they might be a little hurt. Yeah, he Tippett crashed into the boards at one point uh, in the last game and just yeah. came up a little little limping. So it's probably something like that. Look, it's a long season. These guys get banged up, and with Drysdale, I've long theorized that that lower body injury that kept him out in the first half of the season while he is playing through it it is not fully fixed i wouldn't be surprised if this is a little bit of of management of a pre-existing issue it, it wouldn't shock me like the first couple of games he gets here he's running on pure adrenaline misses some time with the illness and he's been fine he scores the goal looks pretty good in the last game but like we're yelling just skated at him because he's a one-man breakout <laughs> and suddenly he's not like uh, he didn't lose his speed you know like something tells me there's probably yeah like and, something and he's adjusting to a new team yeah. a new system he's probably Lots doing stuff doing more thinking than doing a little bit right now because he's trying to make sure that he's doing all the right things he's impressing the new coach he's not making the obvious mistakes but i also do have a hunch that He's that maybe managing this, maybe this lower body issue that that kept him out for a month plus is not something that just is fixed. This is something that he's managing. It's yeah, and uh, the Tyson Forster injury. All right, it's going to be a couple games. No big deal. Probably going to miss the outdoor game. Yeah, that, that's, the, that's, that's the bummer. big bummer there. It's a bummer for him. Yeah, Rasmus Ristolainen. Man, they just can't get it right. What like? <laughs> Is he some sort of superhuman that they can't figure out what's wrong with him and then suddenly it's way worse? It's like the third time this year that there's been more wrong with him than originally expected. I feel this like, seems like it's going to be a bit. We don't yeah. really know the timeline. Anthony DeMarco reported earlier that it was going to be a month. Uh, we're not sure. Kevin Flyers then reported two to three weeks two and then to reassess. Weeks. I just think, I mean, based on the, the people that I've talked to, 
I'm not saying that these guys are wrong. I'm sure they heard this, but I just don't think the Flyers really know yet what the timeline is. It's abundantly clear, though, that this is not as minor as the Flyers presented it as earlier this week, that there's something wrong here, and it might be a bit before we see Rasmus Line back on the ice. The one thing that I do find funny, not funny in like a I'm laughing at Rasmus Line way, but just funny in a the way that fans tend to look at players. Rasmus Line's injury issues are exactly why I don't immediately think that like, oh, he's small, he's going to get hurt all the time. Ristolainen is enormous. And he's getting hurt more than a lot of guys who people think like, oh, he's small. He's going to get banged up. Injuries are just kind of injuries. I don't think that whether a guy is six foot three or five foot ten determines whether they're injury prone or not. Some guys are more injury prone than others. You can be a big injury prone guy. You can be a small injury prone guy. You could be a small guy who never gets hurt. You can be a big guy who never gets hurt. Ristolainen, since he's been a flyer. He's gotten hurt quite a few times, more than you would think for a guy who is as enormous as he is. And that's the... Yeah, I hadn't really thought about him as like injury prone. He gets injured a fair amount, but he does get hurt a lot. At least since he's been a flyer. Yeah, and yeah, this is interesting. Yeah. I I hadn't really thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, he misses time. Yeah, he, he misses sure does. a considerable <laughs> amount of time, and maybe that's just part of those biases. Like if he was Jamie Drysdale's size, we'd be like, oh wow, he's fucking injury prone. Exactly. Great. And Risto was like, this is the third time he's been out this year. <laughs> and so that is, uh, I hadn't really thought about that. But this Risto line and thing now leads to like, I wonder, you know, I got a guaranteed contract. I don't really feel like moving. Yeah, I'm banged <laughs> up, man. I'm banged up, I, man. I, I'll be back. You know when I'm going to be back? I do not March think. March 9th. I do not think that is the case. <laughs> However. I'm going to be back March 9th. I, I will not. I will allow you to spout your conspiracy theories uh, once in a while. It's clearly a joke. I know. I don't think he's faking an injury. No, like, I don't think This is hockey. So it's not basketball. Uh, <laughs> listen. They fake injuries. It happens. Well, the last um, time people claimed somebody was faking an injury, Joel and B came back way too early and yeah. they got actually hurt. So maybe they don't fake injuries as much as we think I am. I'm not saying he does. I say the sport, you know. The other players. There's quite a the bit of Joel and B players. I saw players. Paul Pierce taken out on a fucking stretcher, basically, <laughs> and he comes back for the next quarter. Like, Okay, I, I feel saying. like if we're going to yell at a sport for faking injuries, it's, it's soccer. 12 years it's ago. Soccer. It's soccer. More than basketball. It's barely even a sport. <laughs> Ouch. Um, anyway, Rasmus Ristolainen. How do you think, if at all, this uh, now no longer minor upper body injury is uh, is being categorized as minor? How do you think this might affect the trade deadline? Well, I said this in my, uh, in my post-practice update video on YouTube, if you haven't checked it out, but... I always thought that it was kind of a long shot that he was going to get moved at the deadline. Yeah. I don't think it's it's a long shot that he gets moved at some point because you can sort of see how this depth chart is filling out. If Jamie Drysdale is part of this, which it appears he is, they just traded Cutter Gauthier for him. Presumably, he's a big think. piece. Yeah. And they seem to think that Travis Sanheim is a right-side defenseman. So suddenly, even if someone like Sean Walker does get moved, isn't re-signed, Riss Lyon is suddenly a $5.1 million a year third-pair defenseman that might not be the kind of cap allocation that you want to have for the next you know few years. So I don't think that the talk about him getting traded at some point is bullshit. I think there's there's real smoke there, and I've heard that from people I've talked to. However, because of how much money is left on his deal, because of his cap hit, it's a harder deal to pull off 
at the trade deadline. To me, if he's going to get moved this year, it's probably going to be in the summer. That was always my feeling. Now it's almost certainly going to be the summer because now there's absolutely no reason for a team to have urgency to trade for him now versus in June. Because now you don't even know if you're going to have him for the rest of the season. Like, I, I'm not saying that he's definitely going to be out for the rest of the year, but with this kind of uncertainty, it's clear that hasn't been ruled out that this might be season ending. It could be the way that the, the way we'll see this plays out over the next few weeks. If that's the case, why would a team rush to, to trade for a guy who's already going to be difficult to fit under their cap? Everybody's slammed up against the cap. We still have a stagnant cap situation, at least through the end of this season. Not a lot of teams have a ton of space, particularly teams that are contending. What I think this mostly does, and Anthony DeMarco tweeted this out with his initial report, it mostly shuts the door on the possibility of Ristolainen and getting moved before the deadline. I do not think it shuts the door on Ristolainen and getting moved, period. And I also don't think it was ever likely that he was going to get moved to the deadline. But what was one, say, let's say 10 to 20% chance is now very much in single digits in my mind. I'm just looking up because this was asked in the uh, in the Discord earlier. Uh, I didn't write down who asked it, but thank you for the question. Um, is there some sort of cap manipulation that the Flyers can pull now? Because, like, okay, let's say we're not going to have Rasmus versus the line. And, but now I'm thinking, because I just looked it up, and I'm pretty sure you can trade for a player on LTIR. Okay. If yep. I am a playoff-bound team, we all know the, you know the Vegas, the Tampa Bay way of manipulating the cap. Well, there ain't no cap in the playoffs. You trade for a guy on LTIR and you just don't activate him until the playoffs and suddenly you have playoff Risto basically for free. Do you think anything like that or just maybe the Flyers putting him on LTIR so they have more cap space? I don't to think the Flyers are going to put around. him on LTIR either okay. because I don't think they have to. It's not like anybody they would call up would cost a ton of cap. And with the the fact that they have gotten this, the cap relief from the Carter Hart situation, Carter Hart is not going to count against the Flyers cap the rest of the year as long as he doesn't try to come back. Because of that, the Flyers are not lacking for cap space. Like they they would, I think, if they needed to, they would put Ryan Ellis on LTIR long before they put Ristolainen on LTIR because the only reason why they don't have Ellis on long-term IR is because it's preferable not to use it if you don't have to. Mm -hmm. But if they ever had to, if if a trade came across their desk that they needed to open up space to fit that guy because somehow they had the chance to get a, a high-priced guy who fits their timeline, I think they would put Ellis on LTIR long before they put Risto on because Risto actually has a chance of coming back, whereas yeah. Ellis is never going to play another hockey game. I'm just like thinking about where the Flyers are. I'm just like not even about a return in terms of like a high priced player, but in terms of retaining other salary or being the middleman, maximizing think, a return yeah. in some way. I think the heart, the heart relief gives them the flexibility okay. to do that enough that they don't need to play LTIR gymnastics to pull that off. The idea of a team trading for him, sticking him out home, sticking him on LTIR and then having him for the playoffs. That's an interesting idea. The only reason why I, I think that's unlikely is that with the uncertainty around a situation, there's no guarantee he'll be ready for the playoffs. Like he could be back in a couple of weeks or he could be out for the, until the middle of the summer. 
So I just, I, I think it's less that he's hurt now mm-hmm. that, that would scare teams and more that there's uncertainty surrounding his back. status and you don't want to give up assets necessarily, especially for a guy who's going to involve a lot of cap gymnastics. You don't want to give up assets for a guy at this point, not knowing if he's going to be able to help you for the stretch run and the playoffs. I was going to say, like, I think that's, Maybe a little less a concern for a guy with term because it's like, well, we'll still have him, you know, True. next year. But it's just but, not, there's not the urgency. Yeah, there, why? Yeah, why do it now? Either trade wait. for somebody else. Trade for a rental, and if you really fucking still want him in the summer, trade for him in the summer. Exactly. Like, exactly. Uh, there's. I'm just trying to come up with different sorts of things That's that can fair. happen that are fun. Yeah. I want it to be a fun trade deadline because, <sighs> man, I, you're not already entertained enough by the team winning games. No, I'm just. <laughs> I think that could stop. And we're going to get to that after we play, after we do some other stuff. But um, and this leads me to the Sean Walker conversation. I think if nothing else this guarantees, I never thought there was much of a chance. Maybe if Toronto's just like, no, nope, we need the toughness. We need the size. Give us Risto. We have to have him. I don't know how they fit him under the cap, but you know, people get paid to manipulate that. Yeah, shit. Whatever. They figure it out. Um, <laughs> like it, I never really thought it was a possibility, but there may have existed. All right, we traded Risto. We can keep Walker as our own rental, whatever. All right, possible. I think this kills that now. Like, Sean Walker is, if he was 99%, now he's 102% going to be traded. So you really think so? See, because to me, I mean, my first thought when I saw this, and I I don't think this is the case, but my first thought when I when I saw the Risto line and stuff was, this could be a justification for the Flyers to keep Walker. Because you're looking at it, and suddenly... You've, you know, you could justify keeping Walker by saying we need another right side defenseman for the stretch run. He is now an own rental because now we now it's Sandheim, Drysdale, Walker, R three. Without Risto, suddenly we need another right side defenseman. I still think he's going to get moved, but to me, this you know the uncertainty surrounding Risto's status at least gives you hmm. a rhetorical justification. For not trading him. So I was surprised that your response was, well, now there's a 100% chance Walker's getting traded. I just figured it was definitely going to be one of them. And it was, uh, almost, okay. it was almost always certainly Walker. Fair. But it was definitely going to be one of them. And now you probably can't trade one of them. That's fair. So it's going to be the other. Okay. That's just what I think. There's and two like, ways to look at they it, They do I guess. have eight defensemen and three other guys in the minors who could probably play. Yeah. At least some. Yeah. I, Someone's going to get traded, yeah. and it's going to be the guy probably with the expiring contract. Yeah, and it's interesting. So we'll talk about this a little bit later, but mm-hmm. I'm working on a, a few diehard pieces for next week on the prospects. Um, I do think that somebody like Ronnie Adder, you know, they could justify calling him up if, say, they were to trade Sean Walker. Okay. And, you know, they they might have Mark Stahl after the deadline. They might not. I guess we'll see, depending upon if a team wants him. But he can play games. And then maybe you call up a defenseman like Adder and and give him a go. Or a defenseman like Emil Andre. They have guys that are pushing. So we'll see. All right. And this leads me to the uh, an interview I did earlier. We had a special guest join us for a pre-recorded interview. The great Rachel Dory of uh, many jobs in the NHL. She wrote for The Athletic. She's been a video coach in the OHL, Hockey Canada. She is, I I said, she has a resume that makes me feel as if I've accomplished nothing in my life. Uh, And she joined us earlier, and we're going to play a little snippet of that in a second. Just to talk, I asked what she believes the uh, proper compensation in a Sean Walker trade would be. She has a trade model that she ran his name through, and uh, we're going to play that clip for you now. Okay. 
Now, you mentioned the trade deadline and trade value and everything. So just want to get your quick thoughts. You said it looks like the Flyers are selling. They, they've told us all along, like as much as I just want them to make the playoffs because I'm an idiot fan, they have the big picture in mind. They keep telling us, listen, we're sticking to the plan. It looks like certain guys are definitely going to be on their way out. Maybe Rasmus Ristolainen, and not now. He might be out up to a month. Uh, but Sean Walker is the big name. And we've kind of been going back and forth on what exactly to expect in return for Sean Walker. Is uh, like As a team like Toronto, who might be, in the, uh, might be in the market for a defenseman, what do you think Sean Walker is actually worth at the trade deadline? So... I just, I read him through the model as you were kind of talking about him. I did wrist aligning too, so I can help you out. But Sean Walker's comparisons right now, Alexander Carrier in Nashville, that's that's a pretty good comparison. Artem Zub in Ottawa, uh, Connor Clifton, John Marino, and Matt Roy. So those are five guys where, I mean, Matt Roy could potentially be on the move as well. And so I think I look at that and I go, okay, he's playing second-ish, third pair of minutes in Philadelphia. What does that look like? What does Toronto's right right side look like? What do other contenders' right sides look like? Like I think Edmonton could use Sean Walker probably the most. Um, but I think when you're looking at that, Alex Carrier, I think is probably the best comparison there because he's a guy that's also probably going to get moved at the deadline. So I think if those guys go for the same price point, you're probably in a good spot there in terms of value. So that's that's sort of what I would look at. And I think it's pretty unreasonable to expect that, yes, he is right-handed, but at the end of the day, like the guys I just named off, like are those first-round pick caliber players? Like, no, they're not. And so I think you look at that, and if you say you can get like a, a prospect that fits Philly's kind of timeline. So let's say, let's say it's a trade with the Leafs. If you can get a Pontus Holmberg, a Nick Robertson, a like somebody of that age that has proven they can play NHL minutes, but isn't like a star. Like you're not getting Matthew Nyes for Sean Walker kind of thing, right? And so I think if you can get a a, a player that has shown that they can play or like a second round pick, it's probably fair value. Yeah, I think like. Maybe if a team just gets stupid and says we have to have this guy, they could extract something extra, but something around that second round, maybe a young prospect uh, who isn't, like you like said, a, a star. That's what we should expect. Just trying to temper expectations here. Yeah, I think if you look at Edmonton, right? I Right off the top of my head, obviously, Philip Broberg comes to mind. Um, you're going to have to take money back, so maybe it's a Warren Fogle that comes back the other way. Uh, as well, but you got Philip Broberg, Xavier Borgo, Raphael Lavoie is actually somebody who I think would be a great Philadelphia flyer. Um, but yeah, you're looking at a middle of the pack kind of prospect. Like when you're trading, you're, you can't be expecting a, a Michkov level prospect coming back for a third pairing defenseman. Like that's just straight up not feasible. Ah, oh, so that was uh, that was Rachel Dory in our uh, conversation earlier today. The full interview will be up on our YouTube page after today's show at some point. I don't know how these things work, but Brent is all over it. <laughs> um, so, Charlie, I just want to ask, what did you think of the uh, player comparisons Rachel made, and what do you think 
would be fair compensation based on what she said for Sean Walker. One of those prospects interest you at all? No, I, I think that's fair. And I, I believe we talked about this after the uh, the game. Yeah. I forget which show it was, but a recent show, you brought up the uh, the Walker conversation. Mm-hmm. We do so many shows, it's hard yeah, for me I to keep track know. of which show I talked about it on. <laughs> but I am getting the sense that if they get a first-round pick for Walker, it's going to be because, in terms of market value, another team panicked and overpaid. Doesn't mean it can't happen. It just means that it's not It's not like Walker is a guy that teams are convinced is worth a first and it just comes down to which team is willing to pay up. Mm-hmm. It would be an overpay. Again, could happen, but it would be an overpay. I'm more thinking now that if Walker is traded, I do think he ultimately will be traded. It's going to be something of like a second round pick plus a prospect, something like that. Now... I don't know. Nick Robertson's a guy that's interesting to me. He actually came up in our Discord last week. He, I haven't watched much of him over the last couple of years. I remember being intrigued by him as a prospect. I remember watching him in that bubble, and he looked interesting. He obviously hasn't found a way to stick in Toronto. Also, he's an undersized winger, and the Flyers have quite a few undersized wingers that are already part of this. So I just don't know if he quite fits an organizational need at the moment. Like, look... We think Mavey Mitchkov is going to be a superstar. He's also an undersized winger as well. Like, they have a lot of guys. Konechny, probably going to get re-signed, I would guess, at least. It seems like things are going in that direction. Bobby Brink's an undersized winger. You know, Sam Tuomala isn't the biggest guy. They have a lot of guys who are small on the wing. They have some bigger guys. I mean, guys like Owen Tibbet, Tyson Forrester, bring size. I just don't know how excited they would be to bring in a Nick Robertson who might be a little stylistically redundant with the guys that they already have. Maybe there's another guy out there. Philip Broberg, she brought him up. Look, I've never liked Philip Broberg. Dating his back, name has come up a lot. Dating though. back to his draft year, I have never been sold on his hockey sense. That said, the raw tools are good. They've always been good. I remember that my knowledge of Philip Broberg was I heard rumors leading up to the draft that he got taken in that the Flyers liked him and I was crossing my fingers they didn't take him because I didn't like him. That's my memory of Philip Broberg. I haven't watched a ton of him since that draft, but that's still my bias. My bias is that I don't think he has the hockey sense to be anything more than a decent third-pair defenseman. However, if there's one coaching staff that could potentially mold a guy with really good raw tools on the back end to be more than that, maybe it's Bradshaw on the Flyers. So wouldn't rule that out as a, you know, as a concept, it's just he's not a guy that personally gets me excited because I've never particularly liked him when I watched him play. I uh, know very little about him, and if the Flyers trade for him, I will be a big fan. Uh, and just getting back to Sean Walker for a second, like a lot of us got really excited by the start of the season he had just in terms of the points totals, and it was like, well, he's definitely going to get a first-round pick. He had 10 points in his first 18 games. In the 36 games since then, he has nine points. He was playing uh, 21 minutes a game back then. He's down to 18 and a half these last 36 games. So, like, just the the numbers that get you a little excited. And obviously the scouts who are watching it. Like, hmm. There's a better understanding of, like, exactly how to utilize him and what he's worth. But just the raw statistics are not what they were to start the season. And that's why I think the, oh, he's definitely getting a first-round pick suddenly we're tempering expectations a little bit, maybe. 
about Walker? Yeah, about what to get back for Walker. Yeah, I mean, I just think it's the it's the reality of the situation. Yeah. You know, some people can can look at Walker and his underlying number is still very good. The one thing you do have to remember with Sean Walker, and this is something that teams will look at, especially in terms of the role he's going to play, but not even that. In terms of the role he's played in Philly, we can look at Sean Walker and say, yeah, you know, this guy has been used as a second pair defenseman. He's still getting under 20 minutes a night with the Flyers. Yeah. The guys who tend to bring back a larger draft pick package of the deadline than you think, if we're talking about defensemen, are guys that take on big minutes for their team. Like somebody in the comment section, I believe, just picked, just put David Savard in there. David Savard got a lot of minutes on his teams, and that served to increase his trade value. Teams will look at Sean Walker and say, this is a guy who's getting 19-27 for the Flyers right now, has never gotten over 20 minutes once in his career. Compare that to somebody uh, like Savard, who, and I'm pulling up his numbers now, I guarantee you he had multiple seasons where he got over 20 minutes a night. And that's the sort of thing that's important. It's important to to teams that are looking to uh, to make, yeah, like you're looking at Savard, 22-57, 23-10, 21 This is what he was getting in Columbus. Then he got 20 minutes a night with Montreal. He got 20 minutes a night with Tampa Bay. Like, this is these are things that teams care about. And Sean Walker has never been a workhorse, even with the Flyers. He's getting his most minutes of his career. He's still not really a workhorse in the same way that even Ristolainen was in Buffalo. It was one of the reasons why Ristolainen had such trade value, because it was the idea that, well, he can take on a ton of minutes if we have to. If we get a, a three-overtime game, he can, he can be a workhorse. I, I don't think Walker is the type of defenseman in terms of style. And in terms of track record that teams tend to overpay for at the deadline, again, not saying it can't happen. The right shot thing does help. I just don't necessarily see him as a guy who a team is going to convince themselves they need to give up a first round pick for. It's just I, I realize there is a shortage and I'm about to do the mortgage CS read and like do a whole thing about supply and demand. I just I get that there is a shortage of right-handed defensemen and that makes them more valuable. It just makes me laugh every time. It's like, well, you know, he is right-handed. <laughs> like, so is 90% of the population. I get that hockey is different. Yeah, Because most of these guys, yeah, they didn't they're... grow up in America. If you grew up in Canada, it's, you, you probably play backwards. Yeah. And most of them are Canadian. Uh, so There's that. It, it just, it makes me laugh when we say these things. Uh, what doesn't make me laugh, it's it's our friends at Mortgage CS. I, I lead off every show telling you we are brought to you by Mortgage CS, and we are proud partners of Mortgage CS. Uh, listen, the spring purchase market is here and heating up quickly. Many clients are reaching out right now to Mortgage CS saying they want to be ready when rates drop. I know it's not the best time to be getting in the market right now, but I want to be ready to pounce when I think it is the right time. Here's the thing. Lots of people have that idea. You are not the only one who came up with this. Uh, and given limited inventory and strong demand, now I didn't do great in econ, but that thing, uh, that circumstance usually drives up prices, usually makes it hard to become uh, the most, most desirable candidate to get the house that you want. So you want to get in touch with Mortgage CS right now. Right now, start your planning so that you are ready when these rates drop, when you think it's the right time to get into the market. And you should use Mortgage CS because 
Man, the customer service is just absolutely freaking phenomenal. That's CS. It stands for Mortgage Concierge Service. That's what they provide, a white glove service. Uh, they are an independent mortgage broker based right here in Philly, uh, and they're licensed coast-to-coast, California, Colorado, D.C., Delaware, Florida, Maine, Maryland, New Jersey, <laughs> Pennsylvania, South Carolina, Virginia, and Washington. They're all over the place. So spread the word uh, to your friends and family around the country as well that Mortgage CS is the place for you because they're here to educate and empower their clients and help them co- obtain ultra competitive rates. When you hear the word mortgage, think of Mortgage CS. Think of Ben and Alec. Save Ben's telephone number. It's right there on the screen. If you're listening on pod, it's 267-391-7425. Save it to your phone. You can also email Ben, day or night, Ben at MortgageCS.com. Call or text him. If you're not in the housing market, ask him. What should the Flyers get for Sean Walker? I bet you he answers because he's answering everyone. That's all part of the outstanding customer service that Mortgage CS provides. Check out MortgageCS.com slash PHLY to get started today. This advertisement is not a commitment to lend or extend credit. Mortgage CS is an equal housing opportunity mortgage broker. All all loans are subject to credit approval. Certain restrictions may apply. Company NMLS ID number 1464766. Visit MortgageCS.com for more information. I think I made up for yesterday. I think I did a much better <laughs> job for our friends at Mortgage CS than I did yesterday. Uh, so I'm proud of myself for that one. I want to go back to some of the things you covered in your uh, practice video, you know, the Sean Walker stuff, the trade deadline. That's all very interesting. But you uh, talked about Scott Lawton and the possibility of what it would mean to trade him. We've talked about yep. this a few times, but I believe you asked uh, John Tortorella about it exactly today. I did. And... It's an important question to ask. No, it's very important because, one, he's, yeah, he's the coach, but he's also one of the main decision makers. He also has his finger on the pulse of the room. Absolutely. So he's kind of in, you know, wearing both hats. He's the guy to ask about this. And John Tortorella's response was, quote, trust the process. No, he didn't say that, but he did say process three times in the first four sentences of, like, the little block quote thing you put out on Twitter a little bit ago. Yeah. Uh, so what did you, uh, what did you think of his response? Just run us through that conversation a little bit. Yeah. The, the quote was, you know, we have so many things to do so much more of the process to build this team that we can't be getting too emotional when it comes to what is the best thing. If it's the best thing for the future of our team and building it the proper way, we have to follow through. We have to, the guys know it. We've been very forthright publicly about this. We need to stay with it. He more or less kind of brushed aside the idea that they will hesitate on trading. Because I, this wasn't even just conceptual. I specifically asked about Scott Lawton. He's the only guy with a letter. He's beloved in that room. Are you worried if you trade him, this room that you have been pumping up as being so great is going to take a big hit and suddenly the team isn't going to be playing as cohesively. They're just not going to have that it factor anymore. And then they're going to fall out of the playoff race. And, Torts basically just said in not so many words, I don't care that if we get a good enough offer for Scott Lawton, it's not going to matter that he is a beloved team leader. We are going to take the offer. It is a fascinating answer from John Tortorella, and it does speak to at least verbally. We'll see if the actions back up the words. It does speak to how committed they seem to be to doing this the way they envision it needing to be done. I, what they're doing in this Scott Lawton instance, 
Like, take a step back, forget what's going on. This It's right. It's right that they feel this way about Scott Lawton or any other asset on this team. If your name is not Matt Vaynichkov, I'm answering the phone about you. You know, like I'm, I'm interested in what you have to give me for anyone on this team. But it gets me to the like the approach they took to this season that they're not going to strip this thing all the way down. They're trying to bring back Nick Seal. They're trying to bring back freaking Travis Konechny at probably $9 million. And they're like in a playoff run going, yeah, not this year though. Like don't, and they're not going to add. <laughs> like, right. Is this kind of like a mixed message? I, I, I just, what they're doing right now, it's just trying to thread. We've said they're trying to thread a very fine needle. It, it seems like they're trying to thread like three different needles of varying widths. Like I, I don't, I don't I, fully see, get see, what they're see, doing. I don't think it's a mixed message at all. I think that, it's a mixed message to people who have convinced themselves that making the playoffs this year is a big deal. Because I don't think the Flyers, like I think the Flyers view making the playoffs this year as a nice little bonus, not something where it's actually super duper important to, it's important in in what it allows for them to, to learn about the players and for the experience that it allows them to have. But it is not like the goal. The goal of this season was not make the playoffs. The goal of this season was to build for the future. And if that includes making the playoffs, great. We're not going to go out of our way to tell the coach to lose games. But if we get a first round pick offer for Scott Lawton after he's having a down year and he turns 30 in May, yeah, we're probably going to do it. It's the It's definitely the right thing, but it's just like, all right, well, then why didn't you trade him when you got the first round? It just leads me to the like, the process of this because thing. Because they felt like last summer they couldn't afford to trade Scott Lawton because they didn't think that the culture was as cemented as they feel like it is now. They, for, for like, this is what it boils down to. They think the room can handle the loss of Scott Lawton. They believe that, you know, enough guys, Travis Konechny, Joel Farabee, they believe enough young guys are stepping into leadership roles that they don't necessarily think that Scott Lawton is now as essential as he was last summer when they felt like if they would have traded Lawton, they don't know if they were going to come. Like, think about it last summer. They were just getting rid of Kevin Hayes. They didn't know what the room was going to look like without guys like Hayes and Provorov. Now they know and they think that this room could handle it. Could they be wrong? Sure. Could the Flyers trade Scott Lawton on March 8th and then for the next two weeks they lose six straight games? Certainly possible, but I don't think the Flyers would view that as a failure because they never viewed making the playoffs as the end-all be-all of this season. Yeah, and like playing meaningful games for a majority of the remainder of the season is to me more important than yet if you actually get in. Now, if you're playing in important games... It's fun to win them, yeah? yeah. But like finding out about what the team is is the most important thing. And if yeah. they've made this determination that he's not as important to the future as he was the room for the first several months of this season, okay. I, and again, I think trading him is right. I thought trading him was right in the summer. <laughs> I think, I don't know if bringing back Travis Konechny is right or wrong. I don't know if bringing back Nick Sealer is right or wrong. I just find these things to maybe be at odds with each other. And, but it's not even just the 
the off-ice stuff. The off-ice stuff is important because without the off-ice stuff, I think Lawton would have been traded yeah. over, the, over the summer. However, it's also on ice. You know, you have the emergence of someone like Ryan Paling, who more or less plays Scott Lawton's role, except he's younger and faster. And he's been better than Lawton this season on the whole. Yeah. Maybe not over the last couple games, but over the entirety of the season, Paling's probably been the better player. They have Noah Cates, who, you know, maybe after not taking, and I'm not saying he can't in the next couple of years, but he hasn't taken the offensive step this year. Now maybe you're looking at him as more of a Scott Lawton type, that maybe that's his spot. Now you got two guys younger than Scott Lawton, who kind of play a Scott Lawton role on the ice, it also just comes down to you might need some spots. And you think, okay, we have some of these young guys who have stepped up in the leadership roles. We think the room can handle it. And we have younger versions of Scott Lawton already on this team. We have another guy in Elliott Desnoyers who might also be a younger version of Scott Lawton who's on the way. I don't know. I think that's probably the way they're looking at it is, it's not as essential because they feel like the room is is strong enough to handle it. And there are guys on the roster who can do what Lawton is doing. All right. I, uh, I accept that answer. Thank you, Charlie. Um, <laughs> no, it's, I like, I agree with it. And I'm also like, well, then what was the point of, but in the timeline laying out how things went, like, yeah, moving on from Kevin Hayes was a big deal for the room. You needed some sort of some sort of stability. You wanted to change things, but it can't just be 100% fresh. And so. they might be wrong. Like they yeah. very well could be wrong. May, number one, maybe they should have traded Scott Lawton last summer and they overvalued his impact on the room and the room would have been perfectly fine without him and they would still be in the same place they are now. That could be true. It's also possible that maybe Scott Lawton really is the glue of this team. And when you remove him, they'll spend all year next year trying to find a new Scott Lawton to replace what they lost in trading him. We don't know until we see what happens. Sure. But I'm just articulating what I interpret to be their thought process as to why they now seem more open to the idea than they were last summer. Uh, in this conversation, this wasn't something I had planned, but it reminded me of something I wanted to ask you a couple days ago. Uh, you meant you just mentioned Noah Cates as one of those potentially redundant guys yeah. if Scott Lawton were to stay. Uh, in your piece you wrote, I believe after the last game, you wrote that Noah Cates was perhaps on the verge of breaking out. You had a good first few games after the break, I felt That's, like. Uh, like. I wanted you to just expand on that a little because... It's like Noah Cates last year, and granted, he was the 1C. Like, that's just going to happen sometimes. You're going to have <laughs> – you're going to look more impressive because you're on the ice more. Yeah. Like, you're going to sure. eventually do something, and you go, oh, shit, that was good. <laughs> like, it's going to happen. Uh, but he hasn't been nearly as impressive this year. Now he had the long-term injury, so it's like he's kind of had two different starts to the season. It's been a weird year for him. But what leads you to think, like, he might be close? Well, I, I – you kind of put me on the spot here. Yeah. I'm also, sorry. because I don't have internet, so I can't remember. Oh. I can't remember which game it was yeah. when he actually got that goal. I know it was one of the two. I think it was the Florida game. Um, yes, it was the Florida game where he had the really nice goal. He just seemed like he had more jump. His underlying metrics are still great. Mm -hmm. The big thing with him is you want to see more offense out of him. That said, he got 10 minutes in the Arizona game. He's probably not going to have that many opportunities. He's only getting 10 minutes a night. In those three games before that, he was around that 15-minute mark. So, look, I'm a believer in Noah Cates. I'm a believer in his skill set. The underlying numbers are still really good. He's still a play driver, a much better play driver than Scott Lawton has ever been. And 
Scott Lawton has been a decent guy by the underlying metrics. Noah Cates has been a great guy by the underlying metrics. He's a guy I won in my bottom six. He's a guy who I think does have further offensive upside, but I don't know if Noah Cates has, you know, 50 point upside. He might be around what Lawton is, which is a guy who every year you can depend on for about 30 points. Really good penalty killer. Maybe he could ship it on the power play here and there, but isn't a guy you want on it all the time. I just think he is developing into a guy who I'm viewing more as a a bottom six stalwart. And then, hey, if you get more than that from him a couple years, great. He's a fifth-round pick. If you get that out of a fifth-round pick, you're pretty happy. If you get an NHL player out of a fifth-round pick, congratulations, you had a good draft. But, you know, uh, all right, so back to the uh, regularly scheduled programming. Thank you for uh, dealing with my nonsense there for a second, <laughs> Chuck. Um, Sam Erson. Last Friday, you put out a post-practice video where you said the plan is to not run Sam Erson into the ground. They That's have a what plan. John Tortorella said. John Tortorella said we're yeah. gonna we have a plan to get Cal Peterson uh, into some games this month. And then they did. They got him into the game. They on got Saturday. him into the game. Uh, and now I'm looking at the schedule, and this is where it starts to get really stretched out over the next few weeks leading right. up to the the one back-to-back they actually do have this month. I realize why I missed it now when I said they have no back-to-backs in February. It's because the Sunday game against the Penguins is a road game, and on their schedule it's white, and I just kind of overlooked mm. the white. It's just, I can't see sometimes. I'm sorry. Home road back-to-back. Uh, yeah, they have a home road back-to-back at the end of the month. But until then, like the upcoming schedule is tomorrow, Thursday, then Saturday the outdoor game, they don't play again until the following Wednesday, then the Saturday, Sunday back to back, and then they don't play again until the following Tuesday. Do you think we see Cal Peterson before the back to backs? Like there's opportunity, but not mm. really. I I would be surprised. I don't think it's impossible. Look, I think Arison gets the next two. He's getting the, the Toronto game because it's a tough game on the road. You want your best goalie in for that game. He's getting the outdoor game because, of course, he's getting the freaking the outdoor game. Goal. He's the number one goal. He deserves to have the prestige of playing outdoors in a really cool environment on national television. Of course, Briz was the number one goalie in 2012. Yeah, but, so. but, but Briz was a special he case. He had a mental breakdown. Yeah, yeah, well, maybe not a mental breakdown, but he was just a head case. He had a physical breakdown. He, was a head he wasn't case. that good. He was yeah. Briz, and the team didn't like him. Yeah. Um, so I don't think Erickson's going to sit down for any of the next two games. Is it possible they give Peterson the Chicago game? I guess it's possible. However, you're going to give Peterson one of the two back-to-backs that are next. So to me, it's like, why would you force Peterson into that yeah. game? Erickson will have had three days off after the outdoor game. I would just give Erickson the Chicago game. Hopefully the Flyers dominate that game as they should against a bad Chicago team. Then maybe you give, it's it's a Rangers-Penguins back-to-back. So they're both big games. I don't think it really matters who you play Peterson against, but he's going to get one of those games. And then March is a busier is a busier slate. So then he's going to play more naturally yeah. because the schedule's just busier. That that's my evaluation. Could I plausibly see a scenario where they throw him in against Chicago? Maybe. And then I guess that means that Arison gets the Rangers and Peterson would get the Penguins. But why? Wh- why? Yeah. Like like Arison is significantly better than Peterson. You are in a playoff race, and this is a very stretched out schedule. Why would you bother? Just play your better goal. Yeah, if they had one more game in there, like where the Chicago is a Wednesday, if they had like a Tuesday, Thursday, yeah. then it would make sense. Then I could see it. But there's, it, I was just like, oh, wow. I, I realize they're going to play him some, and maybe more than I initially thought when I was like, oh, he's going to get like 25, 26 starts at least in the final 32. But 
looking at the rest of this month, there's like one logical place to play him. Yeah. And I, I, th- I think that's very... Maybe they get him in more, yeah, but, but I'd be but, surprised. But you look at it then, then there's another back-to-back the first yeah. two days of March. So then there's another opportunity to get Peterson in. So, yeah, I guess you would have went what? So so Peterson got the uh, got the Saturday start. That would be four straight starts for Arison, maybe five if Arison gets the Rangers game and you give Peterson the Penguins game. I don't think that's crazy given the fact that there are gaps in the schedule. You have this two-day gap we're in right now. Then you have the outdoor game, which Harris is going to get. Then you have a three-day gap. Then you have a two-day gap. It's a, it's an extended part of the schedule. To me, you play your best goalie as much as you think he can handle. And I think there's no reason to believe Harrison can't handle four or five straight games in a row when they're spread out as they are. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. And I know you've said, like, we cover this team. It's hard to pay attention to the Phantoms as well. But there is a belief that Arison wore down at the end of the AHL season last year. Now, that said, when he came up, he was still pretty damn good. And and also, (laughs) the Phantoms do these, like, three games and three night things. It's a demanding schedule down in the AHL. In the AHL, you really don't want weekday games. So it's basically like a college schedule where it's like, yeah, we might play Friday, Saturday. Yeah. Like, and then maybe so, like you might have three games in four days. I, I have like that. heard the same thing that Arison wore down at the end of the season, but I don't necessarily think the fact that he wore down at the end of an AHL season mm-hmm. means that he's going to wear down at the end of an NHL season as long as his games are are given as long as as long as they they keep an eye on his schedule. It's harder to do that in the AHL because it's just a crazier schedule. Yeah, and like the Phantoms also like kind of stink <laughs> like it's they're not the did, best did he wear down or is it like yeah t- sometimes teams score because they have the puck the whole game <laughs> you know <laughs> fair like, point it's uh, i just i just wanted to wonder about that just to ask is there uh, they've said they're going to monitor the situation they're not going to run him into the ground do you think there's any sort of internal worry that he's going to wear down or no more so than any goalie I think there is internal worry because John Tortorella straight up said that we are not going to run him into the ground. That means that there is probably a degree of concern that they might be predisposed to overworking Arison, given the fact that the Flyers are in a playoff race and your first instinct is always play the better goalie. I think they are going to be cognizant of the fact that they can't play Arison every game. I just don't think it's an issue yet because of the way the schedule is set up for the rest of the month. Uh, before I do this next read, got to send a shout out to listener Josh McGrath, uh, who made this awesome tabletop set piece for us. Uh, he hit me up on Twitter and it was, it was just very funny timing. Uh, cause I had just done the DNVR pregame and I saw their set and I hate the flag that we have on the table. That's why I've been covering it up with the mad Russian hoodie. Cause it just bothers me. doesn't even say PHLY just as PHL PHL drives me nuts. And in thinking about this, I didn't even say it out loud. And this listener hit me up on Twitter and was like, Hey man, I do some woodworking. Uh, I can make something for you. And these are absolutely freaking gorgeous. So thank you so much for these. Uh, awesome. Awesome addition uh, to our set here. And now I have to tell you about our friends over at Rocket Money. Uh, Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps to lower your bills. I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel with just one tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service, which that means the world to me because I'm horrible on the phone. I just lose my temp. It's 
I, I go nuts sometimes, and then I end up like, yeah, I can't even cancel. They hung up on me. Uh, so they'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users, and it has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. The world runs on subscription services now, streaming, delivery stuff. I, I get freaking soap because why go to the store when I can just have soap delivered to me every three weeks? Like, that makes sense. You think it's a couple dollars here, a couple dollars there. Listen to these numbers again. An average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. It adds up fast. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. That's rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. Rocketmoney.com slash PHLY. All right, uh, I want to get to what was next. Oh, yeah, <laughs> mostly because the name is funny. I like this. I got a DM on Twitter today from uh, Dingle McCringle, which had to do that. Dingle <laughs> McCringleberry? <laughs> <laughs> Yo, Bill, mailbag type question. Saw someone point out the Maple Leafs get, a li get little production from left wing. Matthews, Nylander, Marner are all right-handed shot, and Nyes hasn't been performing. Do you think the Flyers could have a similar problem in the future? Konechny, Tippett, and Forster, Drysdale, and Bonk have right shots. Mitchkov and Sanheim play the right side as well. Not sure how much handedness really matters, just food for thought. And that's, that's kind of why I laughed earlier at the, well, Sean Walker's right-handed. Oh. It always comes up. Handedness, I think, is so overblown, but it seems to be important to people. Do you see this as a potential problem that they have all these dudes who are right-handed? No, I, honestly, I don't. Um, it could be slightly, and you could envision a scenario where, especially when Mitchkoff gets here, if Mitchkoff is a guy who only really can play the right and be at his best. But number one, you're ignoring Joel Farabee, who I think is really good. And I think is only going to get better. I'm really high on Joel Farabee right now. He's obviously a left shooting left winger. But the bigger thing in my mind is the fact that quite a few of these right-handed shots have the ability to play the left. They're cross-training some guys. They've been using Owen Tippett a lot on the left side, and he looks fine to, to my eyes. He looks perfectly fine there. They've used Tyson Forster on the left side quite a lot this year. John Terrell literally just said today that one of the reasons why he's going to miss him is because he's been double-shifting him quite a few times over the last few weeks, playing him on both sides. So I think they've anticipated this potentially being a problem, and due to that, They've been training some guys like Tibbet, like Forrester, to be able to not be stuck on the right side. Because, yeah, if they re-sign Konechny, he's one of them. If Mitchkoff is just a right, a right shot, he's one of them. I think Bobby Brink is probably more of a, a right shot only type of guy, just the way he plays. There's three. Could it be a problem? Yeah, but I don't think they are going to be completely weak on the left side. Because I think, number one, Farabee gives you a rock-solid top sixer who's a left-shooting left wing. Tippett, Forrester can play the left. Maybe Denver Barkey can be you know, a pure left winger. I think he's probably more of a winger if he makes it. So I, I, I'm, not, I'm not terribly concerned about it. It's something to consider. It's something where, you know, maybe in the future you could trade from a position of strength where, hey, we have all these right wingers. Maybe we can afford to lose one because we just have so many good ones. But I don't think it's going to be a situation where it boxes people out. I think there there's enough flexibility there with guys that can play both sides. That it's not going to be a major issue. 
There you go. Always feel free to reach out in DMs, whether you want to make us an awesome set piece or ask me questions. I am all for people doing my work for me. So if you have content ideas, I'm here, man. Content, uh, baby. Content, baby. <laughs> um, Charlie, now, uh, the reason we pushed today's show start from 3.30 to 4 is because you got uh, your annual opportunity to speak. Biannual. Biannual. You do it two times a year. Two times a year. Yeah. Can mean both... Once every other year and twice a year, which is very interesting it to is. me. I don't love that aspect of the word biannual, no. but hey. Anyway, I just love the English language. <laughs> um, I don't want you to give away the story. You told us you're going to have a couple of diehard pieces coming out from your interview with Flyers Vice President and Assistant GM Brent Flair. Uh, but if you know, let's sell a couple diehard subscriptions now in anticipation. Can you give me maybe one thing, uh, one little tidbit? That might get people interested in reading. One little tidbit. Yeah, I'll give I'll give two little tidbits. Ooh. I won't give away the farm. Number one, I, I did ask Brent Flair about uh, the timeline for uh, Alexei Kolosov, who, uh, given the Flyers' goaltending situation, is suddenly a really important part. But he was honestly very open about what he sees as Kolosov's ideal path. And uh, it might not be what some people necessarily want, but I think they are intent upon developing him the way that they feel he will be best developed, not the way that will make the most fans happy in terms of seeing him as quickly as possible. The other thing, and this was something that I really wanted to, to, to ask. I wanted to finally ask Brent Flair why they are so high on Hunter McDonald. So keep an eye out for that. That's excellent because his name, Jonesy like, brought him up. Jonesy brought him up in our interview in unprompted and people have mentioned uh, that Chuck Fletcher brought him up unprompted, even after he lost the job. Yes. Uh, mentioned. So everyone throughout the organization. They love this guy. They appear to really like this guy. So we'll see uh, about all that. I am excited. Go to allphly.com, become a diehard, and uh, sit there and wait in anticipation of Charlie's. Uh, next to yeah. next to opuses. Well, we will have to kick it off because this is something Opie? I do. This is something I do. Opi. This is something I do twice a year. We do it uh, January, February around like post World Juniors. Kind of got pushed back a little bit because of the craziness of the Gautier stuff. Um, but we do it right after Junior mm -hmm. World Juniors, and then we do it right after the draft. Uh, it is our top twenty prospects list, and then. The reason why I interview Brent Flair is because Brent Flair obviously is very hands-on with the prospects. And then we can ask Brent Flair about the 20 prospects that we ranked. This year, I asked him about 21. But <laughs> just for just a little bonus for our diehards, the top 20 prospects list, I believe, will be uh, not just for diehards. It'll be for everybody. But the Brent Flair interviews will be behind our diehard subscriber wall. So if you want to read those, you want to read that info directly from the organization, subscribe. Do it. And now Come while I am uh, now while I am selling you shit, I am going to sell you even more. Uh, we have another takeover coming up. Yes. It is March 14th. Flyers against the Leafs brought to you by our new partner, Olipop. Uh, make sure you <laughs> forget where that sentence was. <laughs> it's like, where are you taking this one? Make sure you check out Olipop uh, wherever it's available. I think we'll have more for you on that in Definitely. the uh, in the future but telling about telling you about this takeover it is going to be a great time it is march 14th flyers leafs as i said uh we're gonna meet up in the assembly room before the game all sorts of whether you're a diehard or not you can get these tickets at all phly.com slash events hang out with me throughout the game charlie will even pop in he 
was there before me for the last takeover because sure I got lost. Yeah. Uh, I got lost in the Wells Fargo Center because I have an awesome sense of direction. Yeah, and I, and I popped in to say hi yeah. to everybody between periods yeah. as well. It was a good time. So make sure you come out, check, uh, meet up with the whole PHLY crew. I'll be there. Charlie, I believe JP will be there. Going to try to figure out how to get Kelly, but we're going to get everyone, as many people as we can, to come and take over the Wells Fargo Center so they can beat those damn Leafs. It's always a tough game against the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have that high-end talent the Flyers are missing. But I got a good feeling. I got a good feeling about this year because well, we'll, we'll get the uh, one team's overperforming, one team's underperforming. We'll get the matchup yeah. tomorrow. Hey, maybe we'll uh, we'll get some fireworks akin to the uh, the Morgan Riley Ridley Greg stuff, and then the follow up game is where it really will blow up. Oh man, I listened to uh, before <laughs> I had Rachel. Uh, God damn it, I can't say her name, and it's oh, so Rachel Dory. Dory. <laughs> it's Dory, Dory, and it's yeah. spelled like Dory, and I keep <laughs> but Rachel Dory on, and I listened to her podcast mm-hmm. before the suspension came down, and it's so freaking funny, like. <laughs> I just love people in Toronto who, and they're right. This is getting all the attention in the world because it's the least. Because Toronto, like yeah. that's absolutely true. Uh, it's just uh, people's reaction to this thing. The the way it has dominated the uh, the hockey talk for almost a week now. It was like Saturday, I think. Well, finally we have the suspension. Yeah, so we finally it came down the five game suspension. Uh, so we get Rachel's reaction to that as well. So check it out and make sure you go to allphly.com/events and get tickets to the takeover against those damn Leafs. Uh, always really like beating the Leafs. I uh, saw some great playoff games against them back in the day, and it's kind of a like. I won't call it rivalry, but I always, it's more fun to beat the premier teams. Like, who cares about beating the Ducks? You know, I don't give yeah, a shit. It's kind of boring. You know, it's fun to beat the Leafs. So hopefully they do it this week, and hopefully they do it when you're all with us for the takeover, March 14th, allphly.com slash events to get your tickets. All right. I think I plugged that enough as well. That's it, right? We don't I have any more? So. All right. Yeah. That is all for us today. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for hanging out. If you haven't already, you got to hit that subscribe button. Uh, search PHLY Flyers wherever there are podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed right here to the YouTube. Set your reminders so you never miss a live show. We're at PHLY underscore Flyers on Twitter. Yeah, that's it. For Charlie O'Connor, my name's Bill Matz. Have a great week, Philly. <laughs> Like the mayor, 